Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we discuss a, a band or an artist or whatever it is we're feeling at that point in time. And this week we were we were feeling the national. You're walking taller than you should. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared Robinson. This is Tyler, no last name. Ooh, keeping himself secret. Is it Tyler? Is it Tex? We'll never know. Also, Dax is not here. Again, he has left us high and dry and has hurt our souls, and it's all right. We're going to be fine. So this week, we're talking about The National. How do we feel about listening to The National? Real good. Real good? I like The National. Real good. Yeah, National's lots of fun. Yeah. Jared? Robinson? I don't know if they were necessarily fun. I found them to be (laughs) pretty good background music. That is a discussion point that. that I wanted to talk about. Let's I liked it better it than I thought I was going to listen like it. Mm-hmm. Like I was not excited about this week. I knew that I liked one song and I didn't really know much else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked more than one song during this week. So that okay. that's a that's a step in the right direction. Oh, way to go, Jared. Let's do this for the first time ever. Was your favorite song? The song you already knew, like, no. did it stick around, or did you find a new favorite it's song? It's a new. I found a new favorite song. What is it? Wow. It's Abel. Abel. I love that you picked the song that sounded almost the least like the national throughout their whole. <laughs> it kind of reminded. Well, it, it reminded me a little bit of like uh, the when go on. when uh, when bright eyes. It sounds like when bright eyes gets punkier. Yeah, that's how it, it kind of reminded me of. And it's funny because that that record um, was considered like post punk revival. Alligator is what yeah like it's yeah. what it's kind of and it's one of the only ones that's really like that. Boxer but, is as well. Alligator and Boxer have similarities, but Alligator is definitely closer to the post-punk end of things, but mm-hmm. that's okay. Well, I'm not were... I'm not a big fan of baritone voices, as I've discussed previously mm-hmm. on uh, the Nick Cave episode, and um, so it's kind of, it's hard to get real behind, for me, a baritone voice, so... So is it just in general, like throughout the entirety of listening, that you didn't really like Matt Berenger's vocals? There's there was there a point where you felt like it okay, I guess was there a point where you got more enjoyment out of it after listening to it or was it just a drone for you the whole time? You're just like I guess I'm listening to this vocal performance. It was more of an I guess I suppose. Okay, but and I don't think that I really like um, gravitated like a lot. Sometimes you can have a voice that isn't great, but your songwriting carries you further. Sure. But I don't really feel like the songwriting, like I'm like, oh, wow, that lyric or, oh, wow, like that that phrasing or whatever, like really did that for me either. So okay. that's why I'm saying like it was fine to like listen in the background, listen while I was driving, listen while I was doing something. But it wasn't anything like, oh, I got to stop. I just got to listen to this song, you know? Like, yeah. But I did not enjoy it. I, I thought it was fine this week. Two, I have two thoughts. One I'll throw to Tyler and then one I'll throw to the table. Tyler, what did you think about the songwriting? In terms of lyricism or in general? Yes, yeah, lyricism specifically, actually. 
it's it's kind of oddly poetic in a lot of ways i think there's a lot of there's a lot of people who praise their lyricism but also some people who are just like it's just dreary and just sad. yeah i don't think about that i think it's uh, i think it I think you can read more into it if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the lyrics are have a poetic nature to them that allows you to draw a little bit more from them. Yeah. Because they're not particularly specific. I think that makes sense. My bigger question the, for the whole table, what do you think about the idea of music that suits the background versus the foreground? Do you, uh, Well, I guess, first of all, Tyler, do you feel like... Do you feel like this suits music as something that's more of a background versus a foreground, or do you think it suits both? Because I'm just curious. We've never had a conversation about this, but it is worth talking about the idea of like music just kind of being something that just kind of plays. It doesn't always have to be a case that music is something that's like in your face. You have to pay attention to it. Like, can it be something that just kind of fl- floats around in a coffee shop? You know, which is kind of what indie music does, but. Yeah, I think that this I think that this music suits both to myself. But the later albums are more like that to me. Mm-hmm. The later albums basically the most recent album and Sleepwell Beast mm-hmm. and even a little bit of um Trouble will find Trouble them. yeah. Even a little bit of that one I find are songs that if you sit there and just kind of let it play, you can kind of just do whatever. And I'll admit that and I own Sleep Well Beast, and I like that album. I think it's a good album. Uh, but I'll admit when I listen to that one and when I listen to the new album, I had that experience anyway. I see. For instance. But their early albums, the the self-titled, the self-titled and Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, those aren't like that. Those albums, and I know we, some of us, I think Jared and I listened to the self-titled, and I'm the only one I think that listened to Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers because we had some confusion earlier in the week. But, uh, that those are kind of more like the song that Jared likes. Right. And they kind of have a different feel to them. And they don't have, they're not droney and they don't have as much of like the mystical, you know, like a, the, the, the large yeah. atmospheric sound mm, that they're more later like indie music rock. Has. Yeah. It's a little, it's closer. Yeah. It's a lot closer. And I actually, for instance, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers is one of my favorite of their albums. It was really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a good, you can see it when you listen to it as a stepping stone further on. But even Alligator isn't so much like that. No. And Boxer, I think you could find some of those things in there. But from song to song, it shifts in a way that keeps it from doing that to me. So I think that their later work is closer to it. Their earlier work begs for you to pay more attention. I think it all requires you to pay more attention. Yeah. But I think the earlier work begs for you to pay more attention. That makes sense. What about you, Jared? I actually really liked the newest album. Surprising, really surprisingly you really really liked i am easy to find the only thing i did not like about it it was it was very long and it was bloated i feel like they could have cut at least 15 to 20 minutes from that record and it would have been a really good album that makes sense but it is it is a little bit of on the long end anything that's over an hour is usually a little on the long end unless they can really really but i, I like well the thing i liked the most about it was the guest vocalist from all the female people that he had on there. Right, which it was, changed things up for their sound Yeah, I, I think his voice sounds a lot better with somebody else, like a female vo- vocal in the background. Uh-huh. I really like the stuff that he did with his wife. There are two songs on there where she sang background vocals, and it's like knowing that it's his wife going back, you know, and she wrote one of the songs either with him or just she wrote it. I can't remember which one. Right. Um, I th- Like, I think that his voice kind of, 
It just sounds better with somebody else. But um, it tends to lighten up in the later period, too. Mm-hmm. It's not as, you know, he really got into that around alligator and, and boxer into the deepness, the depth of his voice. But I noticed, you know, and you can notice when you listen to the later albums. And really, I find that Sleep Well Beast and uh, I Am Easy to Find are kind of a different, a different, it's not a different genre, but it's definitely a different period of their music. And you can tell that. And his voice tends to lighten up a little bit there. Yeah. So when you say the later albums, which albums do you kind of feel like is the tipping point of later albums? Do you think that it starts at High Violet? Do you think it starts later than that? Or do you, because you're, it seems like you have uh, some patterns in your head. And when I listen to The National personally, I feel like there's really only two. I feel like you kind of have the Alligator Boxer era. Um, cause I'm not as familiar with their earlier stuff because I didn't know we were going to listen to it. That's fine. So you have got the alligator boxer stuff, which is when they were kind of doing a little bit more like their music was a little harder and was not as layered. There wasn't as much of a lush instrumentation going on, but it was still a pretty good sound. And then you have high violet on where all of those albums, I don't want to say they all sound the same, but I'm going to say it. If you, if you took a song off High Violet, Trouble Will Find Me, Sleep Well Beast, and I'm Easy to Find, and you put them all on shuffle, you'd probably not be able to get it 100%. Absolutely. That's where I would, I would say that's exactly where it starts, the yeah. second period. And that happened to me. In fact, my initial uh, experiences with the new album came from, because when I listen to these, I don't use the playlist, because I like to know when an album starts and when an album ends. Mm-hmm. So... It just, every single time an album ended, the next song would just be a song from the new album. So that was my initial, you know, foray into the new album, if you will. And it did. On all of those last ones, I was like, you know, for instance, when out when Boxer or Alligator, one of those two ended, it started one of those songs. And I go, well, this isn't the same. This isn't the same album mm-hmm. at all. And I look down, I go, yeah, this is, it's over. It ended. On the later ones, I'm like, oh, okay. And I even got two songs in on the new album mm-hmm. after some of those before I realized what I was listening to, you know. So I, it definitely is from is from High Violet on. And it's funny because, you know, my experience with it was with the new album, Jared mentioned he liked it, is that as I heard those songs, I would like, you know, the first half of them, like, wow, these are pretty good, though. I like these. I'm going to like this album when I get to it. And then when I listened to it as a whole, I was a little bit not as interested as I thought I was going to be. Uh-huh. So I don't think it's bad, but I, I can see some of the bloating that he mentioned and some of the you know the flow of that album just didn't do it as much for me as some of the other ones. But mm-hmm. I liked... Um, so from that album, the people that he had as guest vocalists, he had Sharon Van Eaton on one of the tracks. Yeah, she's good. She's uh, really good. Lisa Hannigan, which is a former member of Damien Rice's band, and mm-hmm. also she does the voice of Blue Diamond on the show Steven Universe. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. And then the final one, which Tyler will care about the most, Gail O'Dorsey, who is a former session musician and bassist for Mr. David Bowie. Mm-hmm. She's on five tracks. Number Track one, two, three, six, ten, and 13. That's a lot of tracks. That's a lot of tracks. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting album that they had so many. It's not like they haven't done this before, though. You know, they have had, for instance, on Boxer, they had Sufjan on there. Yeah, they did. And and Dove Man. So they've done, the, you know, it's not the first time that they've... Had a collaborative effort. Right, and they, I think mm-hmm. they like bringing people in. They've done it on multiple albums where they've brought some different people in. Sure. So here's a question that I had also, since we're talking about it. So, Tyler, you mentioned that you own Trouble Will Find Me, right? No, I own Boxer. Oh, no, you own, no, I'm sorry. You own, well, yeah, and you said that, and you said Sleep Well Sleep Beast. Sleep Well Beast, yeah. yeah. Jared and Tyler, 
what was your level of familiarity with the national prior to coming into these albums? I knew the album boxer from 2007. Uh huh. I knew the song fake empire, which I thought was going to be my favorite song Mm -hmm. because that was the only one I knew. Right. And I was like, I know what my favorite song will be because it's the one I liked in 2007. Right. Which is a long time ago now thinking about it. But, and then other than that, I really didn't have anything. I, I never like, I mean, they didn't get excited when any of their new albums came out, and I just, I don't, I never really cared that much. Sure. And I didn't, I didn't even know that Easy, I Am Easy to Find had come out, and it's been out since May. Correct. And I never listened to it, nor did I have any intention of listening to it. Until now, yeah. Yeah, until now, which I'm glad, I guess I'm glad now that I didn't listen to it in May, because I would have had probably, I don't think I would have liked it then. But you think that now that you have gone through the discography of the National and have gotten a sense of their music, that it built up to that album well? Yeah, I don't know if it was because I wasn't a huge fan of, like, I don't know if it was leading up to that. I I wasn't a big fan of the albums that I listened to, and this one was just a step ahead. Mm -hmm. Or if it was just, I don't know. It's hard to know, I guess, what how I... But chances are, if I would have listened to this album in May, I wouldn't have been like... Wow, this is good. Because I probably wouldn't have even listened to the whole thing. I probably listened to a couple tracks and be like, "Man, this, I don't think I'm gonna like this." And then, you yeah. Know, so, but I actually did like it. You know, so that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. our musical taste is growing by listening to. Oh, all this. I had a yeah, song that I wanted music. to. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you're fine. What was it? You I had a play? song I wanted to uh, talk about from the album High Violet. The song Blood Buzz Ohio, which. I, I, I like that song a lot because it had made a lot of references to Ohio, mm-hmm. given that they're from Cincinnati, they Ohio. They are from Cincinnati. Which is our backyard right now. We uh, miss you, Muncie. No, we do not. <laughs> you you Muncie does not Jared doesn't us. have the Jared doesn't have the feelings we have, Caleb. I know. It's okay. But, uh, but yeah, he talks about um, the, the state of Ohio uh, quite often. Well, if Indiana would in quit this, pushing me. He said, I was carried to Ohio in a swarm of bees. I'll never marry, but Ohio don't remember me. What a line. I'll play it now. Stand up straight at the foot of your love. Lift my shirt. I was carried to Ohio in a swarm of bees. So back to you, Tyler. Yes. My familiarity with the national prior to this was essentially from like Boxer on. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I was mostly familiar with the albums I owned. But I'm glad for I like Alligator. I think it's a really good a good album as well, and I think it's I enjoyed that a lot. Of course, it's like I, I'll go ahead and we'll get to it. Boxer is my favorite album. Okay, I could see so, that for sure. In the same vein, Alligator is clearly a pre-Boxer album, Very. and it's but it's it's right there. You know what I mean? I mean it's on the cusp of the sound that they have in Boxer. So I found that to be really great, and I've liked and I would probably say though honestly that their second album. Sad songs for dirty lovers is my favorite, my second favorite. Really? Yeah, that album is really good, and it's and that's a what uh, that's a pretty highly regarded album as well. It's funny because if when you read, for instance, uh, the Wikipedia page about the National, they say that like they, every album is was released to critical acclaim. You know, yes. like 
two thirds of their discography is released to critical acclaim. I I think basically all of it. I, uh, the only ones that I can't think of are probably the debut and then the last two albums mm-hmm. were not re- like right. critical acclaim. Right. But yeah. So they're still received it's crazy. well. Yeah, none. Of, they don't have any albums that are not well received except their initial release. That's less well received. I thought it was. I still thought the initial release, the self title, was really good. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot different. Yeah. But so have you? You had listened to. So you said that from Boxer on, meaning that you have been following them, or you have just listened. Meaning to Meaning I have familiarity. Okay. With with, the, with them and the songs from those albums. Okay. I don't know. I didn't. I've, I haven't. I couldn't tell you that I've listened to all of High Violet or Trouble Will Find Me. Trouble Will Find Me. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen to all of them okay. at all. Okay. Um. Because the reason that I ask this question, because I don't always ask how familiar are you with an act before we go into them, is that when I did a lot, when I was doing my research, I feel like one thing that was a pretty big universal about the National is that they're a grower and that you don't necessarily come into the National. Yeah, I know. They're a grower, not a shower. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyways, so they. Um, you can't give me looks like that. It throws me off my game. You don't come. You don't come into them and necessarily immediately like them. Exactly. But little bits stick in your brain, and then you go back to it. And the more and more you listen to it, the more and the more you enjoy it. Precisely. Yeah, and it becomes and it changes for you over time. Yeah. That's why I find it interesting. Sorry to interrupt you on no, that. No, please go ahead. I find it interesting to find where people began. Where yes. did you start? Boxer is where I started. I believe actually. So I think. I have been familiar with the national for a really long time, but this is really my first foray into really kind of like getting in depth with the national. I have listened to high violet and I was like, and eh, this is all right. I had listened to, I'm easy to find when it came out. Uh, I had listened to sleep well beast when it first came out. And I think that sleep well beast was my first full length national album because of the fact that that was right around when I was kind of getting into newer albums a little bit more. Yeah, 2017. Frequently. 2017 was around when I started to really get into more music a little bit more in depth. I didn't love Sleep Well Beast when it first came out because I just, I don't know. I would say at the time, I probably just didn't get it. And then I listened to High Violet last year, 2018, and then I listened to I'm Easy to Find 2019. So I've listened to an album from them it, a full album from them every year for the last three years, but I didn't really get into them. And I feel like the first time, so I listened to all of their albums twice, like the ones that I listened to yeah, this week. I as well, actually, for the first week. Yeah. So I listened to everything twice. The first time I listened, I was kind of in Jared's perspective where I was like, this is just kind of good background music. Like, I don't really feel like I'm getting a whole lot out of this. Like, it's good. There's nothing bad about the national. I like this music, but I don't feel like there's anything that's like gripping me and like forcing me to pay attention to it. So I listened to it again and I forced myself to pay attention to it. And I got a lot more out of it the second time. So it's almost like the national is a group that doesn't demand your attention, but like is a group that you should demand the attention of. You should pay attention to the music that you're listening to. You'll get a lot more out of it. If you devote the attention to it, even if at first you're like, do I, is it even worth me paying attention to this? I just think it's more nuanced than it comes off as, I guess. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think I would recommend you after we do this, for instance, go listen to the first two albums. I Because I, I find that their music, you know, speaking of how it grows on people and this or that, I find that their discography is actually fairly conducive to pulling you along and making you understand and like it more if you listen to it chronologically. I, and I think that that has been a beneficial thing of just this show in general, 
that we've been doing is that I feel like I get a lot more out of almost any artist when I listen to them in chronological order because I really enjoy, and The National is a great example of it, where you can really get a sense of things by listening to everything. But this is my big question as well about them. How different do you think that their sound is just in general? Like, I feel like for most of our groups, we can kind of really see this big shift in sound. Does the national really have a big shift in sound or have they kind of remained in their typical sound throughout? I think it was mostly the same. Um, I think that there was a bit of a shift the last maybe couple albums, the most recent ones. I mean, if you listen to the uh, the most recent album and you listen to the first album, you will notice a huge shift. Yes. But that's how, like Tyler was saying, like the progression of a group from the big, like that's just how it works. Like in chronological order, you just, you're not going to always sound the exact same in your entire career. So, right. Yeah. I think, of, I think that, uh, I think that there's a shift from with alligator into boxer. And I think, I think alligator and boxer flow in an, as like a growth. There's a clear growth between the two of them mm-hmm. that, fits right so alligator boxer are kind of paired in my mind as a refinement if you will mm-hmm. boxers like a refinement of the sound on alligator there's a there is a bit of a shift between sad songs for dirty lovers and alligator sad songs for dirty lovers definitely is a little more guitar heavy yeah than it is uh kind of a and there's still a lot of guitar here but we find what we find they doing as they shift towards this sound that they're really most known for is opening the guitars up and making their sound a lot larger a lot, and fill space in a much different way. When you listen to the first two albums, um, you're not really hearing that type of guitar. And so they're a lot more f- guitar forward, and they're a lot more, um, well, I would definitely say it's more aggressive in terms of like, it, I wouldn't call it aggressive, but I would say it's more aggressive than than that stuff. And then I find, of course, a, you know, a shift between Boxer and basically the last four albums. Uh, where they continue to expand and make make more of an atmospheric type situation. So yeah, and that's what I think in terms of you know, but I think that what the national has always done is through his voice and through like a certain just like a certain vibe. There's a vibe that I don't think that's just goes through the entire discography. Mm-hmm. So and I think part of it is has to do with his voice and the way that they write songs. But it's it's weird. This is why their discography is kind of like interesting to me in this sense is I find like I said that it's really good at pushing pulling you along I find that it's a really good discography to you know you like it's hard to just jump in necessarily I think and I think it's important to go through all of it in theirs and I think there's there's a common stroke a common feel through all of it you know I don't I don't think that when you think of what the national is and the way that they sound which it's hard to describe in a sense too I think that you can feel that from the very beginning on. So I have a question about the songwriting since you brought up songwriting, but before we get into the songwriting, I'd like to hear your favorite song, Tyler. My favorite song is Fake Empire. I'll say it. Not afraid, Jared. Just joking. Stay out super late tonight Picking apples Making pies Put a little something in our lemonade And take it with us, put it half away In a fake empire 
So that, of course, the opening to Boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good. That song I think is also really good for. If you you know if you had to listen to one song to try to get the feel of what national is, that's a great song to do it to. Well, that's what's, that was mine. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. right. Because it's I, a building, it's a building song, and at the end, it's like it just blooms. Mm-hmm. So the question that I have about songwriting specifically, I feel like Jared, you can definitely speak to this, but I think Tyler will probably have the most to say about this one. Is specifically about how they write their music. I don't know if you read anything about this, but like the style of how they write their music is that Aaron and Bryce Dresner, the you know the major instrumentalist of the group, if you look at them, they play guitar, bass, piano, keyboard, harmonica, dola. There's a, a ton of stuff that's going on with what they play instrumentally. What they do is, is they write the music first, and then Behringer comes in, or Berninger? I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Berninger? Berninger. I think it's Berninger. Anyways, he comes in and then responds to that music and then writes the lyrics. So it's a situation where you have this already created instrumentation. He takes the vibe of that instrumentation and then he create he crafts the, the lyrics that go along with it then later. Very, very different songwriting style from what most people write as. Usually you have the, the lyrics and the vocals already planned out and then you put music to it. What do you think about that kind of shift in shift in sound and that that change in songwriting i guess thoughts i don't really know if you would know that without doing that research like i don't think it shows through the music in any way that you would mm-hmm. know that information yeah i don't, I don't think so either I, I think that you can get a sense that it is when you know it it's like oh that kind of makes sense that all of this like instrumentally is going on and maybe this was like that this wasn't just background sound. This wasn't something that you just kind of put to some lyrics. This is something that you built and then you put some lyrics to what you built, I guess. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that you would get it immediately off of that either. I think it stands as a, it's interesting because sometimes when I hear some of these songs, you can think about if I remove the lyrics, the song would still hold up. Yeah. You know, so obviously it's like, it's, you know, the lyrics are just another building block in the, in the entirety of the thing. But they're not the foundation, and I think that's I think that you can tell that. Now I'm not saying that you can tell that you could. That's how they wrote it, right? But I, you can tell that the lyrics play a certain role, but the lyrics are not the the main point of the song. And sometimes with his voice being how it is, his voice is almost just like another instrument, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before. Right. I, even even on the Wilco episode last sure. week, we talked about that. So, yeah. Jared, did you have something you wanted to say? Did you see that on the album? Uh, boxer the the cover is a photo that was taken from the producer of the album alligator they took a picture at his wedding that they performed the song the geese of beverly road at his wedding and mm-hmm. they took this photo at the wedding and then they put it as the cover of the album boxer that's cool yes i did not know that this is a fun idea fun... that is cool it, the the and actually, he produced the he produced both albums. So he produced Alligator, Peter Cadis, Cadis, and then for Boxer, they used the photo that was taken at the wedding. Yeah, that he also produced that record. Yeah, he also their first foray in his producing is on Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers as well. That's where they first 
paired with him to do produ- production work. Was that on Beggar's Banquet? Was that the yes. label? Those so were all did, on Beggar's Banquet. When did they switch to 4AD? 4AD actually took over Beggar's pilot? Banquet. Oh, they took it over. Mm-hmm. So, okay. they're, so they're, they're on 4AD. theoretically been on the same. Right. Okay. 4AD. When did 4AD take over Beggar's it Banquet? Was, do you know? It was after Boxer. So it was High Violet. Uh-huh. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. I figured that there was some kind of... I figured that that was where the natural shift happened was somewhere in that Yeah, that 4AD realm. took over um, Beggar's Banquet. Okay. He also has a long-standing relationship with the band Interpol as well. Which is not surprising. No. It's very si- they're very similar, I feel. <laughs> well, yeah, I would definitely say so. I think that Interpol has a lot more of a post-punk sound than The National does. but Because we talked about Interpol a little bit when we talked about The Strokes, and we talked about kind of like that, like that garage rock revival sound, where Interpol was kind of more on the post-punk end of it but they were still within that realm of sound. I feel like the national is kind of like a later, a later take on Interpol, I guess, where they were kind of coming up around the same time, but really like the national sound really developed more post Interpol. Yeah. Interpol is definitely to me stands in a different place of it. it is. It's more. So it's kind of weird to think, right? If I think about indie music, I can easily put both of these bands, both Interpol and the National in indie, mm-hmm. but they come from different parts of it, right? I mean, right. Interpol still comes from the punk background, right? while the National comes from somewhere else. And I have, man, I got to find it on here because I have somewhere that, that talks about, it's a, it, for, it, they're just a weird group to be able to characterize you know, because it's hard to say what it, what their music is, what genre is it, where, where do they belong? They've been described as because uh, let's just go with our, our usual Wikipedia's um, indie rock, alternative rock, post punk revival, art rock, and folk rock. I would say of all of those terms that they are using, some of the ones that stand out the most, art rock makes sense to a certain degree. Right. Indie rock makes a lot of sense. Post punk revival makes some some sense for their earlier in their in the first two albums. I would be more willing to say maybe. Yeah. But Boxer has some elements. It. Alligator has some elements. But post-punk revival, it still just doesn't feel like it fits like a glove. So, OJ. So, Interpol, The National, and The Strokes all came up playing at the Luna Lounge in, um, the lower in Manhattan. Side. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Manhattan. So, it's like... All of these groups that, I mean, well, we haven't done Interpol, but we've discussed them before. Right. But we have done the the Strokes. Mm. But we have done the Strokes. And I mean, so it's like the connection that they have with like, I mean, but the National are from Cincinnati. So it's not like that. It's not a um, like location connection, but it's like an indie rock location. But, you know, like... yeah, and what's weird about that is, so when you hear people talk about Interpol, particularly people who were in the time when they when turn on the bright lights and antics were, you know, were where it's at, you know, and what antics I think was an 04 release, so around that time, Interpol is a New York City band. Mm-hmm. People recognize that. Interpol is New York. Um, and in fact, all of the guys in the National, when they created the band, were living in Brooklyn. They're just all from Cincinnati, mm, so you know some of true. some of their the Midwest vibe. I'm sure has soaked into their musical exposure in a different way, right? So, but Interpol is strictly they're a New York band. They sing about New York City, you know, and their music feels like something like that. You know what I'm saying? So it it's I feel like it's the regional part of it definitely I think plays a role in the way that the sound is and how it developed, but. 
it's just really interesting. I, I found, for instance, here's a quote, if you don't mind. I'm going to do of a course. quote today. Quote away. So this is a quote by Jason McNeil of No Depression and part of his review of their initial release, their self-titled release. And he said, The National has created nearly a dozen picture-perfect Americana bar-soaked gems with its debut album. From the opening notes of Beautiful Head, the delicate line between polished, roots-oriented pop and alt-country has rarely been walked so deliberately with payoffs so favorable. What's really weird about it is, and this is why like the genre-defining thing is goofy, mm-hmm. is that he's, de- he's describing them the way you might describe Wilco based off of their initial release, which is an early, like 2001 release. Mm-hmm. So, and their initial work doesn't even, you know, it's not like the drony potential alt country, you know, stuff that I'm not saying their, their new stuff is alt country, but I feel like their new work would be closer to being considered that than their previous work, their early work. And that's why I think it's really difficult to try to put them in a genre. I mean, indie is one that fits well because we know that that's like because indie is such a catch-all. Right, you can put anything. You can put anything in it. But when you really get down to like what is it, it's hard to describe. I mean, at one point they're alt country. At one point they're, you know, an Americana bar-soaked Americana songs. Right. I mean, like, and I even like it is weird. I even this week. I don't. I don't want to get deep into this because it will. It will be a rabbit hole we'll never get out of. I wanted to figure out what indie means musically. What does that term really mean? Because there's a sound to it. There's a distinctive sound when you're like, oh, that's indie music, and you know what that sound is. But if you try to define it, it's very, very odd. And like, really, what indie comes down to is the whole purpose of the term, which is the fact that these are like independent artists that are coming up, in, and that's just the sound that came out of that independence, that, that that independent kind of artist. So I don't even know why. why how are they independent? Like, they're not. That's they're the, under. That, they're underground. Yeah, that's the whole idea of like that's where the indie term came from. It's just a sound that came out of that. It, but it, it's like if you're if you're talking about Wilco, right, and you're calling them indie rock, and yet they were on a major label and they were dropped from their major, they became an indie rock band after being dropped, right? Well, yeah, initially, right. Well, that's my point is that like the indie indie rock in its in its entirety is a very very catch all but very hard to define genre. There's so many things that fall within the realm of it. There's so many different things about indie rock that exist that like kind of makes sense like musically it, it does it again i don't want to get super deep into it but the, the, basically the idea is it is hard to put them into a genre it just by the fact that if you try and classify them by indie you're already having a hard time classifying them as a right. genre because there's so many other things that go along with the term indie that you can't just fall into indie rock What's, maybe you have folk elements maybe right. you have post-punk elements maybe you have so on and so forth punk whatever it doesn't matter i find it really easy for people to throw people into indie especially when they've done you've done something that people are confused by you've taken different aspects of different genres that hasn't necessarily been put together in this way before and now you've stuck them together and you've done something i mean their sound is a lot i don't know what like there's something that you can't find other people that sound like that but like during that time period that was something really weird and different for sure, you know, and it was just kind of odd and, and it's like, okay, well it's easy to throw those people into indie. I think a more accurate term would be alternative rock 
but it has negative connotations now. Mm-hmm. Like ne- alternative rock, rock sounds like cock rock when it comes down to it. Well, alternative rock to me, when I think of alternative rock, I think of like a stained or a seether or something like that. I, I just think of... I know why you're saying that, but I know that it's wrong. I know, I do too. You know, like... Because <laughs> it's so is Smashing Pumpkins. So it's is, more correct to say alternative rock than it is indie rock with a band that's on a major label that mm-hmm. has had critical acclaim mm-hmm. in that, you know, like they're not independent anymore. They're yeah, winning but Grammys. But that's where they're... Yeah, but that's why they're winning them. You understand? Like, you are you have critical acclaim because you are that. If you're not... But independent? If, yes, that's why you have it because it's so it's different. No, it's not. No, because yeah, it is. Because nobody the would know who culture. you are if you were underground. Unless, I want to get until until some until some. I want to get into this. This is my my big thought that I think we're going to spend the rest of the episode on. So before we get into it, I want to play my favorite song. All right. Okay. So I thought it was interesting that Jared, you picked a song off of Alligator, and Tyler, you picked a song off of Boxer because I picked a song off of High Violet, and my favorite song is Anyone's Ghost. So here's my big thought, and it comes out of everything that we've been discussing here, and it's kind of, okay, so I, I want to keep this one civil, because I'm giving a little bit of a revisit to something, okay? So we've talked about the Strokes, and when we talked on the Strokes episode, we talked about the state of, like, kind of rock music in general, and this is where I want to talk about basically the state of indie rock in general, because there was a big boom of indie rock music, especially in the mid to kind of late 2000s. Um, obviously, there are parts of indie rock that were really popular in the early to late 90s. You have acts like Neutral Milk Hotel, obviously, that had indie rock music that was really popular. Well, you have but the golden era of indie. The which golden is mid era. to late. It's basically mid 90s to early 2000s. Yes. Right? Yes. So we had this big golden era. We had this kind of fluctuating popularity of indie rock acts in the mainstream. And what I find really, really curious about the national as a whole is that you have a group like them who are nominated for Grammys, who are featured in multiple TV shows with their songs. They have a ton of critical success and they're not a big name at all. They're really not. I mean, they're, 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 they're popular in their sphere of music if you're a music fan, you know the national, but that doesn't make them a big name. Just because you have a song on Bob's Burgers doesn't mean that you. I know Jared is blown right. away. I got it in. That's pretty sweet. If you have a song on Bob's Burgers, that doesn't make you a big name. It just means that you're in the popular realm of things. Like some, if somebody heard that song, they'd be like, "Huh, that kind of sounds familiar." Maybe they were played on House. You know, it, oh wait, they did. They they've had a song on House, cool. So like they've had songs within the popular sphere of like media, but they are not popular really when it comes down to it. They are a popular indie rock group, but they're not a big name. So what is it about the National that makes them able to be an alter like the alternative like 
I'm trying to think of how to word this. Hold on. Like they were nominated for a Grammy for like alternative best alternative album of the year, and they're still not there. What what is it about? What, why is it that we're still not at a point where they're a big name? Well, how many people listen to Beck outside of early Beck, outside of Loser, and know any Beck music? Right. You know it. I think part of it is it require it. You have to pay some attention. You know what I'm saying. You have to listen to things a little bit more. You know. One, it's it's the aspect of that you can put it on and not pay attention to it, right? Which means that when it comes on, you know, you're not paying attention to it. So if it comes on a playlist you're listening to, if it's on a television show, if it comes on at a bar, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to li- li- like react to it and say, oh, yeah, this is a fantastic song. Let me find out, oh, it's a national and this and this and this. Mm. You know, so there's that aspect to it. <clears throat> I think any music that requires you to pay a little more attention than you otherwise might pay when you just sit there and listen to something or listen to it in the background or, you know, put some music on while you're driving is not, it's just not as accessible. And it not, and I think that there's a lot of potential for it to be. That's just, we are consuming music differently. We can get our hands on it very quickly and easily. So, you don't have, you know, regardless of critical acclaim, it doesn't mean you're going to be popular, as we know. Mm-hmm. Some of the most popular music is not that good. Right. And so, a lot of the best music is not that popular. Right. So it, I think part of it is just the amount that it requires. You know, it, it requires you to focus a little bit more and pay a little bit more attention. Or it requires you to give a little bit more some way, in some way, when you're listening to it. Because, like, there's, I mean, the National is, by nature, still in indie rock group because 4AD is an independent label. They're not a big name label by any means. So their music is still being put out by an independent label. They're still you know living that independent scene of music. And so by nature being an independent underground group, you're not going to be a mainstream success theoretically, but they've at least had some crossover like success when it comes down to, you don't get nominated for a Grammy without having some crossover commercial success, but they're so they're out. High Violet debuted or got to number three on billboards chart. Mm -hmm. Trouble will find me. Got to number three Mm -hmm. sleep. Well, got to number two Mm -hmm. and I am easy to find got to number five. Mm hmm. But they didn't like sell that many copies. Yeah, they only sold some of those less sold than a hundred thousand cop. Like yeah. So the thing is, whoa, whoa, what are you reading? Huh? I know one of their albums. They sold from Boxer on. They sold four hundred thousand copies of each of those albums. Did they? Oh yeah. In the no, that's that's worldwide, not U.S. No, in the U.S. even High Violet sold four hundred and sixty thousand copies in the U.S. and eight hundred fifty thousand worldwide. Where are you seeing that? That album, their gold. That album went gold in like five countries. But it does say gold there. To say gold, there we go. Yeah, but that's the thing though. It they went gold, but what is what does that number tell you? Like that because you've had other artists who've sold millions of records. Maybe that's their de- no, maybe that was the debut, like the week debut, perhaps. Maybe that I'm looking at. I don't know. My point is that. At the time that rock music was big, they were selling millions of albums. Yes, not hundreds of thousands. Right. So that's where your that's where the the like the the change is. That's where right. like the disconnect is. Is that you know like Coldplay isn't selling millions of records anymore. Right. You know, 
So, and they, I mean, even the biggest rock band right now, which I guess you could argue is like Foo Fighters, maybe. I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know who is the number one. Who is the biggest rock band right now? I don't. I, I think I don't. I don't know. I think Foo Fighters would have to be pretty close. I do. They're think they're that. certainly up there. Yeah, I but don't, they're I, not selling millions of. But I mean. No. But they no are one's selling, but that's a, no. But no one's selling millions of records. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. I mean, it's like right. you digest it, and we we consume it differently, right? One, you know, collectively. Mm-hmm. It's it's just one of those things where it, it's this odd this odd conundrum at this point of what does it take to finally have a a success anymore? What what is it going to take to have a rock group that's well, going to actually cross back over into the mainstream without having to be I don't know, gimmicky like Greta Van Fleet or something like that. Well, who that. cares? I mean, what's your metric for success? No, I, I know because they're they're course. incredibly successful. Right. There's no question that the National is and one of the most successful. They're, I mean, really, they're one of the most successful indie rock groups of the decade. Oh, absolutely, by far. And what's, for instance, I I have to admit that like probably part of the reason, you know, in my mind, and when I hear certain songs, I can feel like a time period, like we all do. Mm-hmm. And when I hear Fake Empire with the way the piano is and those things, I feel like that time in my life. Because I know a lot of, like, that's when I think about what music was, like, what interesting music was in that time period and the different things that I see. And it's, what's funny uh, is that when I think about all of that, Fake Empire is like the perfect song for that. It does it for me. It, I feel like I think about that time, and I can hear, especially in like the piano parts. Even pop has pulled things from there, and done it. You know, because I know some songs where the piano reminds me of that, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's got to be around that time. Mm-hmm. And I look it up, and it's not. It's like five years later. You know, so I mean, to what's successful? I mean, you ha- you're critically acclaimed. All of your albums, you know, have been well well accepted. By mute by critics, by music, by people who like music, you know the Grammys, which I think is garbage anyway most of the time. But you know, right? So, you know, someone's out there doing it. The ability to have and, both a critical success right. and also have some Grammy success speaks some volumes. It does, and the ability to like in the minds of your fans or people. I mean, and I don't know how widespread that phenomenon may be, but when the fact that my familiarity actually with here's the thing. I didn't listen to Boxer until like 2015. Right. When it came out in 2007. It's 2007. And yeah. when I hear it, I feel like 2007. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're, I didn't even listen to the music when it came out. And yet it, it's like defining of the period. Mm-hmm. And I can feel that. You know, and if that's not successful, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, you, you know, you have left a serious mark on music. In your era, even and even earlier on in your career, you know, compared to now, that was twelve years ago. Yeah. So, I guess that maybe it's not a question of success, and maybe more of a question of what does it take for a group that is of the quality and of the clear the clear success of the national. What what does it take for a group like that to finally be a, a household name? Where you actually have a group, because again, like there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of musical artists that are in rock music that are household names. You, I could name a hundred, and I'm not going to do that right now. But like, what does it take for the national to be 
a Nirvana or a Beatles. Like I don't understand anymore, I guess, what it is about music there. You can't have these acts that are doing so much in terms of critical success and having songs on TV and having Grammys and somehow we don't know about them. I just, it just, not everybody is. Not every, like at the time that they were making albums, like their, their biggest thing probably could have been Boxer. Mm-hmm. Their biggest hit, probably their most accessible song during that time period where rock music was at least in a higher time than it is now, was that album. It could have been Fake Empire, but it wasn't. Because around that same time, you had uh, Death Cab for Cutie that came out with Plans the year prior. You had Modest Mouse that came out with an album a couple years before that mm-hmm. with Float. I mean, so you had rock out groups, The Strokes had stuff. You had rock groups at that time that had hit songs during that same period of time mm-hmm. that na- the National were putting out their well-received albums. Right. It Perhaps their music isn't as accessible to people that in, in the mainstream, or if that's what you're looking for, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a hit single or a million... I mean, they're not going to sell a million records. Like nobody... I mean, right. whatever. But... Even at that time, in 2007, was probably their best chance at having a hit song, and it could have, it probably would have been Fake Empire, and it just wasn't. Yeah. So, there's nothing you can do. It's probably, I mean, it could be, you know, like his voice there, and or the instrumentation, or just not enough push from not being on a major label. You know, whatever sure. it is, you sure. know, if that's what you're looking for, those are the reasons. Yeah. I guess it's one of the, it's not even just a national question. It's one of those things like I just can't think of a big name from this decade. You know what I mean? Like it's the current so, decade. Yeah, the 2010s. It's hard to. But think. they're an old band. Well, yeah, but they, so I mean, you're they've not been around have... for a while. But a lot of their really big music came out in this decade. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, they're not. If you've been a band for as long as they have been, you're not going to twenty years. Yeah, yeah you're not going to like have most likely a, a group in their position mm-hmm. aren't going to be real big now. Yeah, it's true. So I don't know. I mean, if, if you're thinking like, why aren't they big now? Well, the reason is because they've been, I mean, they've been around forever. If they were going to be big, a, they would have been big. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And why weren't they big 12 years ago? Well, you know, look at any of the reasons that I just stated. Well, I guess right. the more of the question is like, why aren't they, why don't people, you know, who you can be big whenever you want to be big. You know what I'm saying? People can accept your music whenever they want to. It mm-hmm. just takes one, it just takes one, you know, minor generation of people to say, this is all really good. You know what I mean? You can revive their music from 2007 and 2019 and they can be, you know, and people can be like, this is amazing. And they could still become well-known, you know what I'm saying? But you know, it's not, it's like not why are they not popular now? Why, why can't I walk up to a person and say, Hey, did you hear that the national put out a new album? And why isn't it that they go, I don't know who you're talking about. Right. Is the real question. Right. And, it's kind of like uh, you know that the documentary "Searching for Sugar Man." Yeah, Have you heard of that? Yeah, that's kind of what he's getting at. Is like, why didn't this guy like you? He found success after people had already discovered him way, way, way late in his career. Yeah, you know, right. so or like, uh, Mr. Dax is gonna love this, but like. Tommy Wiseau was like way old when people actually started caring about him after they made sure. the documentary, right? Or the the film. Well. They made the movie about making the movie right. with Correct. James Franco. Correct. And so it's like he's going on red carpets now, which he thought he should have been going on red carpets back when the movie yeah. came out in 2003. Right. right. And it, you know, like it took 
13 years for anybody to care about him. Sure. And, but of course, he, it's for a different reason. It's but. for a different... But he doesn't know that. He thinks... He isn't in on the joke. He sure, isn't right, in on the sure, reason right, but, why. You know, right. but that's a whole different thing. Right, right. But I find like that you can find six you can have Billy Ray Cyrus can put out a hit song in two thousand nineteen, right. you know? Right. Right. And uh you know, Ozzy Osbourne can be on a post Malone song that gets in the top ten. Like it's not right. impossible. I, the the national could, I guess, if they're on a Kesha song, you know, like be yeah. in the but they're not gonna do it. No. So well, if if that's what you want from and it's not what you want, but am no. I saying, what I I guess what I really want when it comes down to it is I do want what Tyler is saying and that yeah. is that why, why to, can't to live why, to live in a world where and this is obviously a, a pipe dream that doesn't make any kind of sense. I just it's just kind of a thought I guess that I had when I was listening to this and thinking about what indie rock used to look like and how and why it is that we can't still have some kind of semblance of that is I can't walk up to somebody other than you know the people who are on my podcast and say hey the National came out with an album that came out in May did you guys like that new right. album that yeah. yeah I, th- I don't know. It's. Well, I think that that the way that you can determine success now in rock music is just it's just different now. Like, right. so you you're not going to be on the Billboard chart, you no. know, whatever way, and you're gonna but you're gonna sell some records. You're gonna have some tours. I think the way that you really can like kind of find success is in like festivals now. Yeah, like there was a festival in Louisville that I. Um, in, during when I went to the festival, uh, the um, Bourbon and Beyond Festival, there had, there had been a festival the week prior in Louisville. There was a country music festival. Then the next weekend was the Louder Than Life Festival, um, which is a bunch of like metal and rock bands that like uh, I think Guns and Roses were there, Stained were there. I, I don't know all these people, whatever. But they had like three hundred thousand people that weekend or something like that yeah and it's like an up-and-coming rock group to be able to play in front of that many people like what what other opportunity do you have in that and you know what i mean so it's like that's how you can find people you're the people to have accessibility to your music is doing that now yeah, because yeah. that will garner streams, which sure. is important now in, in kind 2019. Of, that's kind of difficult too, though, because now I mean, when you look at line, when you look at lineups for festivals, most festivals we're seeing recycled bands, mm-hmm. and it's well, not that they're not good anymore. Some of them are still definitely good, but it's hard to find, for instance, another Louisville Music Festival, Forecastle, where they focus on mostly current artists. Well, you know, the thing but, that I do when I look at art, like. I look at, obviously, I look at the top. I look at who's headlining, Foo Fighters, whatever. I look, like, quite a few rungs down to see what, like, up-and-coming thing that I've heard of. And I'm like, that'll be a good platform. The band that you like, White Reaper. Right. They they played there. Right. And they played in front of probably more people than they'd played in front of in a long, you know, in a just long time. Just have a new album come they did just Yeah, have yeah it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. And they're from Louisville, so it's also, you know, and they, but, but I mean, it's just, like, you know, it's hard. It, that's all hard to do. And I think, for instance, uh, an example of the Nationals' take on that. If, and if you read their Wikipedia page or you read about, didn't they know, have their own done, festival? They did. Which go I'm ahead. Getting, yeah, go ahead. I'll yeah. get to that. So they, uh, but they've played multitudes of festivals. I mean, right. when, when they toured for every album from Boxer on, a big portion of their tour was. I mean, so you know, a whole paragraph worth of festivals that they played at. Mm-hmm. You know, so. They did it in their time, if you will. Uh, and now, as we, as you uh, mentioned, you know, just last year here in Cincinnati, they made up their own festival, the Homecoming Festival, mm-hmm. where they came here 
and they were the headliners, of course, but whatever. And uh, <laughs> so they brought Always Was Here and Feist Was Here. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a really cool lineup because Feist is like, that's another one. How do you characterize Feist? I mean, Feist is like art pop, really. Right. Uh, but in one, a weird way. I don't know. Is that one, one two, three, four? Yeah. Yes. yes. That's a pretty good tune. Yeah, huh? it is. Well, the Feist is good, and she's a really good musician. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw what I did is I, spoiler alert, it was on... It was in Smale Riverfront Park in Cincinnati, and there's a suspension bridge that cuts that park in half right there. And I stood on the bridge, and one stage was on one side, and one stage was on the other side. So I just walked back and forth all day long because they one people performed on was one. Was that when you saw Moses Sumney? Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. so mad about That's that. That's when I saw Moses on. Sumney, and I saw Always, and I saw Feist. And yeah, so I saw I watched for free from the bridge. And there wasn't, and the thing was, this they came, <laughs> this is to your point in a way, right? They came sure. to Cincinnati, where they're from. And they said, we're going to put on a festival here. This is, and, it's, and it's like, this is the festival. One time, it's not like they're not going to do it again, but it's not a recurring situation. We're going to get a bunch of people that we really like and that we enjoy performing with who are going to come. And it was a great lineup because of that. you know. And we're going to put on a festival for you because this is where we're from. And there still wasn't like a crazy amount of people there. You know, right. it, was, it, was, it was busy, but it wasn't like Bunbury. For yeah. instance, which is a bunch of, in my opinion, not to be offensive, garbage bands. Sure. Oftentimes. Would you like to name any of those garbage bands? I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, Greta Van Fleet plays. So oh, it's all, God. you know. Come on. But they, not, that who played this Fall year. Boy there right. like yeah, this you year. get lots of, and I know, Fall Out Boy, know, you know I my know, opinion on Fall Out Boy yes. as being, you know, I appreciate their older music in a different sense now. But, you know, it's, <laughs> this was a really interesting thing because it was a band who's well known for their role in that genre and in that place coming back here getting a bunch of other acts that are just like them that fit a certain place that are that are in that genre that are experiencing success in a similar way Mm -hmm. and performing and it doesn't seem incredibly successful when you watch it yeah you know a lot of people coming a lot of people came up to me on the bridge and they're like what's going on and i'm like this is what's going on like you don't know that this is happening so that people are standing around just like seeing what's going on the people that like the national were too busy looking for records at the record store (laughs) you're probably right i was thinking right too is that or they were like taking their kids to soccer practice or something because they do characterize themselves as dad rock do they wow okay that's sad i will admit though when they played they're really kind of college rock when it comes down to it they're a whole different realm of college now they're professor rock really sure Ah. prof rock (laughs) <laughs> that was good when they uh when they performed though at this festival that's when the cr- crowd was largest you know so they're still you know people wait around all day to see them and it was it was it was fairly full in there but it wasn't a huge venue um but it was it was really cool they played boxer the entirety of the album oh nice it's probably best that they would have uh asked people not to listen on the bridge because the music is so <laughs> depressing okay all right <laughs> All right, Jared. And on that note, do we have so, anything last to say uh, about the National as a band, huh? I just think that uh, I think that their music is pretty compelling and very interesting, and it definitely it's I I I know we had this discussion on what does it mean to be successful? Can you be and how can you be? But I think that they've reached success as much as they can. Like mm, I don't think yeah. there's any I don't think that there's and, anywhere else for them. I, to and go. I think in all the ways that matter, you've been successful for sure. And from even from for me from the early album on it was all i find all of it to be so uh and i don't know if we've got a moment i would love to play one song yeah, or please. part of it from uh 
Sad songs for dirty lovers. We'll go with Slipping Husband. So that everyone, you two can get a little quick peeky. We'll see how it goes. Sure. Talk, you're acting like a kid. We don't want to hear about the things you never did. You could have been a legend, but you became a father. That's what you are today. That's what you are today. The, their vocals are very different. Uh huh. Yeah, I miss- feel like they're they're more to the front. It's the yeah. missing link, boys. Huh. Yeah, see how that's more guitar heavy. Yeah, it's kind of got a you know. It's not as full or lush nope. as their usual stuff. It's a little bit more straightforward, which is not a bad thing. It's just it is what it is. But so, yeah. that got really great reviews, though. Did it? it yep. Huh. It good, to, I think yeah. it's an eight zero on Pitchfork. Nice. So. Whoa. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's an eight four. On oh, Pitchfork. there you go, eight four. So our favorite. <laughs> But you can hear. Listen, it. Well, listen. Let's I, talk. I wish I was on that bridge right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though is that that is like it is a very interesting form of success at this point is getting rave reviews from a a, a reviewer like Pitchfork right. or like the or needle drops or like yeah the old the old melon. Like it's a totally different realm of like being a fan of music is just this idea of just seeing what reviewers are saying about it. Actual critical success is important. It's not a case that like people are just like, oh, hey, what Rolling Stone say about that album? Like there's a lot of different like internet based mm-hmm. reviewers that a I lot of know. music fans are really, like, I don't know really what it, I guess uh, we can wrap this up after, you know, whatever, yes. but um, I don't know what I personally feel is like the measure of success in a critical review now, in it's my tough. opinion, because I don't really, I don't like pitchfork, uh, as you mm-hmm. do, just because I feel like they're pretentious and I don't really like that kind of stuff, and they are for sure. But I also for know sure I don't like now. I don't like Rolling Stone. I think their reviews from <laughs> from before just now are are relevant. Yeah, I think that like anything they reviewed, like the star ratings that they reviewed in the seventies, eighties, nineties, even they are warranted. Yeah, they gave like the they were le- you know legitimate. But now you know you're not gonna really. Care I don't think that Rolling Stones is really in touch anymore. No, That's kind I agree. Of, but That's I don't I know what that. They were, what they what were is in it? touch? I would agree. I'd call it an aggregate. Mm-hmm. I would say that w- that's why I use sites like Metacritic and Album of the Year because they too. they have an aggregate score. So it's not based on necessarily. It's not that I go to the Needle Drop and I check out the Needle Drop and I check to see what Anthony Fantano said about this one album. I go to Metacritic and I go to the 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 Metacritic I'm more likely to be like, well, this is probably legitimate. If it gave it a bad review, I'm like, well, I don't really believe you, Pitchfork. So, I, <laughs> yeah. so you're good. more, I, war, you're there's a better chance well, you're going to listen to r- it and yeah. have a not so uh, tiered opinion on it. Right. Well, the thing about Pitchfork is, I know if they give it a good review because I know how Pitchfork reviews mm. that it's actually probably a good album. They're going to like a big thief album every sure, time. Sure, but I can't always trust that it's not good because they said it's not good unless it's yeah. like if it's below like a four. I can pretty much be like, this is probably not good. But, but if, if they, they give it, it like, like a, a four, yeah, or five. a four or a five, I've got two albums. The two albums by the group that I really enjoy, who are kind of like um, a new alt country, southern rocky 
kind of bluesy feel that I thought were really great. I thought they sounded good. They were fun, which is one thing that Pitchfork doesn't always take into consideration, just the sheer enjoyment of listening to it. And they gave them like a five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you guys are stupid. There, There's a so, video I watched uh, a few weeks ago. Maybe it might have been a month ago now or something like that. It's, like, it's a rock reviewer. I don't know if I brought this up before or not, but it doesn't matter. Um, that he, I mean, he does, I don't really, I appreciate that he does rock reviews, but I don't really like the style that he does it. But he did a whole video on um, like 10 albums that that Pitchfork did negative reviews on. I that, saw that. Yeah. That were like, this is a, you know, you're, there's a travesty. And it's legitimate. Like they, they really did mess up on a lot of reviews, you know, and it's, you know, they and, correct that too sometimes. Yes, they, they do. go in and they do re-reviews the, of things. For the that other reason. thing is that the guy that is like their, um, their main critic or their uh, publicist, not publicist, whatever I'm trying to say. Yeah. He has said some... Editor-in-chief. Yeah, basically. He said some like very uh, uh, controversial uh, things that are like, I don't think you should even like this website anymore because the head of it (laughs) is like saying some... Even within his reviews, he says things that are very bad, misogynistic and things. So, yeah. Yeah, let's... Yep. Oh, well. Well, at least when they give a, they have seen them give like bad ones and then re-review it and give it like a ten. And I'm like, you gave it a five. Are you now sure? You give it a, now you're giving it a ten. But what I, do, it's a different reviewer though. But That's what I, it is. Well, it it's, is. but often they don't often do that when it's not like a decade old album, mm-hmm. and they're just like, well, I guess it's always guess that was a much one. more important album. What I will give them credit for is at least they don't delete the old review where they totally they don't. Yeah, you're right. Bun- yeah, that's fair. So that you can look at them and laugh at them about how stupid they were. Right. Back in 2009, they gave a very poor review to the Andrew WK album "I Get Wet," and yeah, that makes they me did. sad. Yeah, I saw. Actually, that's a great this record. Is so funny it's fun. because it is because I actually looked two weeks ago. I looked that up, Jared, and I was like, this is stupid. So, yeah. Any closing thoughts on the national? I made mine. I don't Jared. have any more closing. You Listen any, to the new you album. Got, do you have any closing questions on the national? Oh, no, he's on. Oh, we're not <laughs> asking questions. We're not asking more questions. Bye. I don't answer questions. Tell that to the police. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We've been talking about the national and a lot of... A lot of other stuff we've been talking about, but we've been talking about the national. Next week we're going to be talking about the flaming lips. Tune in for that. I am good. I am grounded. Davy says that I look taller.